Hi, I'm Jono Scott. He's Ben Strivens. Hi. And we watch anything. We trawl the depths of Netflix to find three films of the same genre, of the same genre, and watch them so you don't have to. I take one, he takes one, and there's one we both watch. So you know when to hit play and when to run away. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, listeners to the podcast. You're with us for a milestone event. Yes, the podcast is 20 years old. No, 20 episodes old, not 20 years old. (laughs) (laughs) You really messed that up, didn't you? Yes, I did. But that's because I'm so excited, Jono. We're on episode 20, episode 19, when exceptionally well, we've had some lovely feedback from it. We've also had from um, a couple of people some suggestions for how we should change that intro we've had a great suggestion over from our friends at the Devil Times 5 podcast which I urge you to listen to if you like some proper in-depth horror-tasticness and uh, we're still waiting for a few more to come in before we sort of mess around with that intro because really we didn't want that to be the focus of this podcast it's 20 eps in and Jono we're going to look back aren't we a little bit that's right. Although I think I think it's too late, dude. I think already the intro is in ways the highlight of the whole thing, and we should cancel all the talking about films and just discuss intros. Yeah, it's true. Actually, they are quite special. Um, no, I'm looking forward to looking back at the at the last because yeah, like, uh, episode ten, we looked back at what we had done to date, and now it's time for our our ten podcastian catch up thing, and. Um, yeah, actually, episode 10 was a bad one, wasn't it? Because it was prison movies. Which yes. Which was, was, we had a bit of a stinker, didn't we? In retrospect, you know, it, it, it did sort of provide one of my um, favourite low moments, though. At yeah. least, oh, yeah. At least I got to sort of go to town on something truly awful. But yeah. straight after that, we hit into one of the favourite movies that I've watched for this podcast. We smashed into the heights of Turbo Kid. And that, for me, is still, yeah. I think, the find of our... Um, uh, well, one of the finds, certainly, of our venture here. Certainly of the second ten, I totally yeah. agree. That I think that has been the, the one that st- stood out for me. Um, uh, although in ways the one that stood out quite a lot, for, it, it was Sinbad of the Seven Seas, which was terrible, but I just so enjoyed which the badness. Which I tried to start watching the other night, but oh, did you? I was several glasses of red down. <laughs> right. And I was having difficulty keeping my eyes open, and the, but the beginning, the intro was so particularly brilliantly bizarre that um, <laughs> it's funny. when Ed and Poe's head appears, <laughs> utterly fantastic. I mean, look, we've had very few total dud episodes. I think um, the gangster movies one sort of stands out as one well, where we, neither of us really liked anything. Um, but we also no, 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 no. That's not quite true because I quite enjoyed. Rock oh the yeah, Mob, I'm remember? sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was Hoodlum was a bit average. We both hated the Wee Man, yes. and that's the thing I was going to say. I think in ways because we really disliked um, Krampus the Christmas Devil, but in ways, you know, at least Krampus the Christmas Devil was as you. But so you you called it a curio, it, and I think you were you hit the nail on the head yeah. with that. Whereas the Wee Man was just such average, yeah, bad, just turgid average dross. It really made me quite cross. No, I've actually shown Krampus the Christmas Devil. Obviously, not in its entirety. All you need is five minutes, and specifically the "How many doors can you open in succession?" scene to a <laughs> yeah. number of people since then, just to go. Would you believe this exists? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well, and a couple of other ones I was just going to mention is I really quite enjoyed Life Force from episode 13. Uh-huh. That was my film from that one. Um, and I also um, quite enjoyed seeing Death Wish 2, even though it was terrible. And I think one of the big finds um, 
was Night of the Demons 2 as well. I agree entirely. I really thought that was Night fun. of the Demons 2 was fantastic. And I don't know if we can count this as a big find or not, because a lot of people do hail it as a, as a classic of the genre. I'm still so glad we saw It Man. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we can. I think it's a bit like saying, you know, doing Shawshank Redemption <laughs> or something. You know, I don't think we can claim that no, as a No, but, per- but as a personal find, yeah. we can say. All right. Definitely. Yeah, it was great. And uh, frankly, you know, last episode, Charity Thousands got lots of recommend it. So... We've had we've had yeah. a, we've had a smattering of things that we really enjoyed over over our mm. uh, over our last ten eps, and I think uh, if anyone wants to you know go through the back catalogue who hasn't heard some of those, have a listen. Probably don't bother with episode fourteen, the uh, the gangstery <laughs> one, but um, or, or or just listen to the bit with Rod the Bob because that's first, that's fine. So <laughs> that's the past, but Jono, we're all about the future here. We are, do yes, we're all about the future, <laughs> and the future of this podcast is rooted in reality. Yes, because we're doing documentaries this time, aren't we? Yes, then? so last time I teed up the fact we were doing documentaries, um, I told people that we were going to watch I'm Your Father, the David Prowse mm-hmm. doc, and we will come to that at the end, as is our yeah. usual you know, style of things. But what I didn't qualify that was, is actually all three of the docs we're going to do are going to be cinema-related documentaries. So in yes. some ways connected to the movies... And uh, you know, it was it was a hard choice. I mean, I guess I left it slightly open when we when we did that because there there is actually a real wealth of documentary on Netflix. There are shed loads. There's almost too many. Yes, and I think you know we could do a spin-off podcast uh, just about the documentaries if we wanted yeah, to. Um, quite frankly, luckily life is life is too short for that. I think. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, there are just so many of them, and it's dizzying. I and, um, I watched two purely, actually two and a half purely. Um, just because even though I was you know, watching the ones for our podcast, there's the ones that I just sort of came across and went, oh, I really want to watch that. So yeah, I, yeah, I watched yeah. a couple anyway, just sort of threw them into the mix. Um, it's obviously not the time and place. And, you know, I think they're relatively specialist, at least one of them is. Um, yeah, well, as well, I mean, the, the, the thing is that I feel like in the last few years, like a lot of people... There have been these, these, these series documentaries. Obviously, I'm going to mention Making a Murderer. Yes. Which was just a fascinating thing to me because I don't think I'd ever watched an entire series like quite like that. Although we've discussed this before um, off air, yeah. And um, the interesting thing from people who've read the book seems to be that oh yeah, he definitely did it. Whereas people who watched the documentary of Making a Murderer was definitely much more kind of. Well, it's uh, interesting you should say that because my ultimate test case is my mother, and. She had read the book and we were talking about it and she did not have Netflix until very recently. And she finally yeah. got um, Netflix and I said to her, right, well, you have to watch Making a Murderer. And I saw her about two weeks after she had merged from watching all of Making a Murderer and she just <laughs> went, he didn't do it. He did. This is, he does no way on earth he did it. <laughs> but she was completely spun around by the travesty of justice. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was fascinating. Yeah. To, to, uh, to So I've got the book now and I do have to read it, but I have not mm. yet. No. Okay, good. Well, I've got the book of Gangs of New York, but I haven't read that yet. But that's not really relevant, dude. No. <laughs> actually, Gangs of New York, interesting you should point that out, is actually not a documentary. Oh, right. It's one of those oh, things I called a drama, that. directed by a man called Martin Scorsese. <laughs> oh, right. Who does also make documentaries, I guess. So, um, he does. We, yeah, we had, I picked three cinema-related documentaries. There are... Because even in that narrow field, there are so many. There's a whole bunch of stuff these days about fans. Have you noticed this? Yeah, There's a yeah, lot yes. of docs about fandom. Um, and I guess that's sort of the geek culture that we live in. 
and the fact that you know it's relatively accessible because fans want to talk to you as opposed to trying to make it about a subject who you have to track down and find if you want to talk to a bunch of rabid Back to the Future fans, you pretty much just have to put a post out on Reddit or something and you go, oh, great, thousands of people want to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. So um, so I've noticed that. So that's something I kind of wanted to steer clear of because there's a there is an abundance of it. Although I did start watching the Ghostbusters fan one just for fun. Oh, yeah, is that good? Yeah, well, I was really quite enjoying it, actually. Um, yeah, really? But uh, that's not what we're, going to do, what we're going to talk about today. So we, we had no. the, the documentary, you know, we'll save our Star Wars-themed one at the end talking of Geekland. Yeah. But first up, there's the documentary that I spun your way, which is... Chuck Norris versus Communism. Who could resist that title? I <laughs> know. It is a great title. Yes. And um, and in ways, it's a sort of... You know, you could argue it's a slightly... Well, in fact, once you get once you watch it, you realise it's actually the perfect title. Oh, um, cool. In lots of ways. So... Um, Chuck Norris versus Communism, it's uh, 2015. Um, it's not too long. It's an hour and 18 minutes long. Nice. And it's, I do like um, it 78 minutes. Yeah, yeah, nice and short. And it's, um, f- now forgive my pronunciation, but it's directed by Ilinka Caligarino. Calig- I think that's right, Ilinka Caligarino. Um, Got to go with you on that. Yeah, and it's, it's a Romanian-British funded film, but basically it, it's all, everyone speaks in Romanian. Anyway, okay. So it's Chuck Norris versus communism, and essentially, it's all about a ring of um, of sort of black market uh, ring of of films, Western films that was sneaked into Romania when it was, you know, it was it was a communist state at that time. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until nineteen eighty nine, I think. Um, it's Ceausescu, wasn't it? Was he the dude in um, charge? Yeah, yeah, Ceausescu, I think it was. Yeah, 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 of course it was. Particularly um, nasty, horrible person. Yeah, and he was he was there for for years. Yeah, when he yes. find yeah, for decades he 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 was in charge. And um, anyway, this sort of illegal ring started up where they sneaked in Western films, and and distributed them to people. And they and it was obviously the eighties, like um everywhere was the sort of first generation where it was more commonplace to have video players. Um, sure, and so people started watching these illegally copied films, and it's all about the sort of the impact. It's about the the sort of magic of films and the power to change people's outlook on lives and stuff. So cool. <laughs> that's that's fundamentally what it's about. And, yeah. um And so yeah, so straight away there's loads of recreations of scenes, and just straight away these are done really well they're really well lit it's ve- it looks like the 1980s everyone is wearing terrible clothes you know Excellent. communist 80s is even worse than normal 80s isn't it <laughs> so like everyone looks terrible and, and and does it feel like a sort of a, does it feel like real life borat yes essentially and um this is mixed with lots and lots of talking heads which again are really nicely filmed with really um you know, with an interesting sort of selection of people who talk about what it was like back in the 1980s to watch films. Now, um, then we come, we're quite quickly, we're introduced to one of the main people in this, in this, in in what was going on. Yeah. Is this woman called Irina Nistor. Nistor, I think she was. So this was a woman who worked for the government and did, did voiceovers for films that were allowed, that were shown on state television. So she would just sort of, um, she, as in she did everything. She did all the voices. So imagine trying oh, to do that. Oh, men and women. Yeah. So, so just imagine watching, I don't know, Dirty Dozen with one woman, you know, speaking oh, over God. it, doing all the lines. 
And this is just what she did. So she was employed by the government. And then quite mm. near the beginning, she's approached by this rather sort of shady character who you realise that although he seems a bit shady, is in fact, you know, he's got some power within this communist state. He's not, yeah. he's not just some, he's not a grunt, you know, he's fairly up the chain. And he starts just saying, okay, he takes her to a house and start and starts paying her to to do what she does for the government, but to do it for all these films that the the, the state wouldn't allow. Oh, cool! <laughs> yeah. So from He's then a on, backstreet voiceover artist. Yes, yeah, backstreet voiceover. <laughs> but that's the funny thing, though, because but what's amazing though is that, like I say, she was already doing the government one, so it's a bit like. You know, Fiona Bruce doing Antiques Roadshow, then being asked to go down the road and do a sort of, you know, a pirate radio Antiques Roadshow or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, I guess I guess it's kind of like it's the same voice, though, so it sounds to everyone it's a voice they can trust. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that, that's one of the interesting things about it. And, um, and so, you know, like I say, these scenes are all recreated. So you've got an actress playing Irina Nistel, but it's the... But at the same time, it's the actual Irina Nistel who you can hear talking about it. If you see what I mean within that within yeah. this film, and um, and you see her start doing it, and you, and she starts to get a taste for it, and all the time this is peppered with interviews with people, sort of now, sort of saying, you know, what films had an impression on them, and you've got loads of these these scenes of people like, um, okay, another early character you see is this guy who he describes because although more and more people did have videos, still in Romania, yeah. video players in Romania they were very rare. Because they mm-hmm. were really expensive. I think at one point someone says that to get a video player, you know, a VHS video player, it was like the equivalent of a of a of a month's salary or something. Well, I still remember in like the uh, well, it must have been the sort of early eighties. We still rented our video player from like a. Oh yeah, did you? Yeah, I think we yeah, did for a while we as well. Yeah, rented our TV and video. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but somehow he had managed to get a cheap one in Germany, and yeah. then he describes how you know you, you see he lives in this sort of like you know communist block block of flats that looks really yeah. sort of bleak and um and brutalist kind of thing and um and then the word goes round to all these kids like oh we, you know the latest chuck norris film is on at eight o'clock at what's his name's house kind of thing oh, and cool. then you see like footage of everyone sort of like you know all kinds of people's you know young old families reconstructed footage yeah this around. is all reconstructed yeah. footage and there's lots and lots of clips of films from the 80s as in you see you do see Chuck Norris films but there's also Van Damme there's there's bits and bobs of various Rockies there's When Harry Met Sally there's you know I could go on yeah just loads of films but mainly slightly shall we say B-list films like the Chuck Norris Missing in Action films sure. but really loads of well-known ones as well I mean I'm pretty sure Godfather comes up and other scenes that are perhaps worth mentioning is that so the guy who's the linchpin for this ring of creating these pirate videos, um, he has a couple of close calls, and you see yeah. there's also a bit when Irene Nistor is seemingly almost caught by this really scary head of you know the secret police where oh, she cool. works kind of thing. But Does it then, feel a bit lacarious in a weird way? Sort of. I mean, I'm, 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 yes, in ways, but I mean... You're romanticising slightly. I'm slightly, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I am slightly romanticising. I, I, I mean, I'm going to come to my review because I think to talk any more, I need to sort of tell you what I thought of it, which was I really, really liked it. And there, I, there, are, there are things that... that I can are, see from your face, you're, you're looking very... <laughs> everyone out there, obviously, you, you are listeners and not watchers because we haven't made this a, a podcast, a video podcast. But Jono's face is just... It's a glowing little light-up thing, quite <laughs> apart from what's glowing in his face through the computer screen. 
Yeah, yeah. It's just it's there are flaws with it which I will come to, but it's yeah. a solid, solid recommend because Great. I just think anyone who's into movies, and especially anyone who grew up in the eighties like we did, but yeah, you know, will find things that are fascinating about this because there's although we don't know what it's like to live under a communist state we do know what it's like to sit in a dark room and watch i know highlander for the first time or sit in a dark room and watch you know um howard the duck for the first time we remember what that was like and there's so there's stuff you can connect with purely on on as a movie fan yeah but then like i say that the talking heads of all the guys and girls and men and women talking about their childhood or their earlier life when they were in these rooms watching these magical little snippets of the western world that they weren't allowed and it's just really sort of cool and inspiring and they're just they're all really charming people they say really funny things and what's really nice as well is that they talk a lot with a lot of passion about this Irina Nistor yeah because it's kind of funny this woman's got this this kind of quite an ordinary sounding voice you sort of think but they kind of talk about her like she's this angel that you know they all talk about how they pictured her and stuff and, and it's really funny as well because like, apparently she had a bit of she didn't like it when people swore too much so she would kind of just self-edit out like edit out some of the swears <laughs> and just say things like you idiot instead of you total and um and so yeah and and um i suppose one other thing going to mention is that towards the end of it you've i don't want to give away exactly how it how it how it no, all ends but you do find out that she ba- she basically did she counted up and by 1989 which is um when the state sort of collapsed um yeah she had dubbed three around 3000 films my god <laughs> no is that like in total between illicit and non-illicit or just illicit ones? I think that's just illicit ones because I think she had a notebook Christ. kind of thing. But as well, I, another thing it captured for me is that feeling, you know, like um, if you watched a film like uh, when you were a kid, you watch a film like, I'd say, Karate Kid and yeah. it, it excites you and you immediately go outside and doing fake kung fu Karate, moves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, there's this just quite sweet bit when a guy's describing seeing Rocky for the first time and... Just and and so because he saw Rocky do that training sequence, he describes setting his alarm for five o'clock in the morning just because Rocky did, and eating raw eggs just because Rocky did, and going for a run and putting on sweats just because Rocky did. And it's just again that really sort of I don't know, really sort of spoke, you know. It's just yeah, it's yeah. Just, no, I, I get it. It's, like, it's, that, it's that, that kind of like it's almost the, the innocence to it, like they're just the, the passion and the innocence flowing out. Yeah, exactly. And the only and so I'll just quickly come to the the the, the, the only negative is that. When it got to the end, I just had this feeling that there were a few times when it just got a little bit repetitive. Oh, okay. Just because you felt like maybe you'd heard one too many person go up, one too many um, talking head. or, or it, was, it just felt like they'd said this, they'd made these points really well, and then just towards the end they kind of made the same point again. And did, then did maybe like one more time. Did it feel quite have enough material then? To, to I actually, no, I was thinking about this, and I think it's more that they had so many people were talking in such as, I think they, they should have edited it more, not because they were making filler, but more because I bet they just thought, oh, but that's such a good interview. Oh, that's uh, such a good interview. And they just couldn't bear to take them out, and they possibly should have taken it's, out a couple more. It's the hardest things to do in an edit is killing your babies. I mm. know this. You just got to get the, you sort of like, um, you just, you, you, you hold on to this one thing and you go, this is just so good. And it doesn't fit with anything else, but it's so good and I can't get rid of it. And then you just yeah. at some point you need to go, I have to kill that. I have to get rid of that. That just doesn't work. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I mean, the thing is, I read a review after watching it by, in The Guardian. Yeah. And, and, the, and the guy was polite about it. You know, he said how it was really well filmed and stuff, but he said it got dull. And I thought that was harsh. But I think he was getting at the point that, you know, at the yeah. same thing, that it just gets a bit repetitious. But honestly, just even if people don't necessarily like the whole thing, just anyone who likes films, I genuinely think should watch this. Because it's it's really it's really sweet, fun, and nicely put together. You know, yeah. In terms of a recommend, this is an A plus plus recommend. In terms of, I really think you should see it. In terms of the actual film, I think it's actually you know more like for me a a B minus. Okay, B minus is still pretty solid though, isn't it? Like yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it sounds fascinating. I like one thing. I think that we also forget, even though I know you said that we we don't know what it's like to live under a communist regime, which obviously neither of us do. Mm. What we do have, which generations are not even that far below us, um, have don't have, is that they have no real knowledge of the Cold War, though, of what it was like for the Soviet bloc to exist as this sort of ironclad thing that was over there, and mm. we were a Cold War with, and it was these states were just barred off to us. They were just a completely different zone of the planet kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas it's now, it's, you know, it's, it's a very different kettle of fish. But it's very, I think it's very hard to conceptualise how we just grew up with a whole like, large chunk of the planet connected to Europe that was just off limits. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And that, but that's the thing, I think this film is just, it's really interesting from a socio-political standpoint, but it also just taps into the universal experience... You know, a film yeah. watching, uh, it, you know, it captures something about that magic, that yeah. what a powerful sort of, um, you know, tonic. And, 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 and just the way these people talk it's such with such love passion? and yeah. passion for these films is just is really nice to watch. Oh, um, cool. So, yeah, I, I, I wanted uh, I wanted to kiss your face for giving me this <laughs> film to watch because I really Well, uh, yeah, you have talked with, with passion about it yourself, Mr. Scott. <laughs> Very nicely done. Well... Um, yeah, definitely going to watch it. Good. Um, I, I'll skip on to mine because, interesting enough, it sort of it has a mirror image to yours in some in some ways. Right. So uh, yours was about the joy of watching filmmaking and the sort of transformative power of that and what it can do. Uh, the documentary I watched was about something, uh, like I say, sort of in- incredibly different in the ways. It was about filmmaking itself. So not 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 enjoying not from the audience perspective, but from the filmmaker's perspective. Right. I watched a documentary called Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh. So, wow. Okay, yeah. You've seen Hardware, right? We've talked yes. about this. Yes, Hardware, fantastic sort of cyberpunk, um, dystopian um, horror movie from the early 90s. Its director, Richard Stanley, got extremely fated for it in the community. Um you know, it was, a, it was a great genre piece. Fangoria loved him. Loads of uh, people loved him. Then he made Dust Devil, um, which is set in his. Um, I've never seen that. No, it's it's also it's again it's it's quite uh, it's quite bleak and quite uh, just quite you know it, it has a, has a, has similar qualities. In it it's great. And off the back of these two films, which the you know the the genre community got really excited about, he suddenly gets his key to the door of Hollywood essentially. Mm-hmm. And he always wanted to make the H.G. Wells book, The Island of Dr. Moreau, yeah. into a movie. He's got an extremely sort of rampant imagination. He's one of those... Uh, he's one of those sort of... He's, he reminds me of a bit like a young sort of Neil Gaiman-y type figure. He was very kind of like, you know... Or um, Clive Barkery sort of thing. He's, you know, he used to wear big fedoras and 
be quite sort of gaunt looking and just uh, yeah. terribly, terribly mysterious. And uh, so he started talking to various producers and things and ended up at um, New Line uh, about making this picture. And he had a script that he'd written for it and they seemed to like it. Mm. And it sort of snowballs from there. But, and I, and I got really excited. And as a couple of my friends did as well. We were like, wow, this sounds really cool. He's making the island of Dr. Moreau. It's going to be, he's got this great visual flair. It's going to be really cool. And it goes into principal photography. And suddenly he is not in charge of the picture anymore. Right. Um, and he, gets, he, he got thrown off after a very short period of time. And no one was really quite sure why. But at this point, I have to say, Brando was involved. Val Kilmer was involved. Oh, God, really? The dude whose name I cannot remember, which is terrible, but the guy who was the um, he was the main actor in Northern Exposure. Oh, oh, I know exactly who you mean, but I, yeah, I couldn't is remember. Is it his Rob name. Morrow or something like that, or is no, it? I don't, I, wait, I don't think I'd know it even if you did. Yes, it say is Rob it. Morrow. Yes. Okay. Um, well done, so dude. Rob Morrow was involved, so he was he, he was getting sort of he was relatively big around the time. But yeah, you had Brando and you had Val Kilmer at the point that Val Kilmer was Batman as well. So you got some major stars. So his, oh, yeah. yeah. So it was all like oh god, Kilmer, Brando, whoa, exciting, and suddenly boom, dies. Yeah. And then it comes out a couple of years later. Um, and it's just a god-awful, stinking pile of terrible mess, basically. Um, and so, and since then, no one's really heard in any great way um, from Richard Stanley. So I was really interested. I love hardware. I really do. Mm. And I was very interested to see what this was, because it seemed to me a bit like a, very much a sort of um, uh, Lost in La Mancha thing. Have you seen Lost in La Mancha? Oh, I don't think I ever did see it, but I remember reading so much about it. I feel like my brain's telling me I have seen it, but I don't think I ever did. No. It is brilliant. And it is, because that's about the crumbling of Gilliam's yeah. um, making Don Quixote. Um, and even though they, they do share some DNA, I guess, because they're both about the sort of the, the collapse of a film yeah. project, uh, that was very much shot at the time, whereas this, a lot of Lost Soul comes at it it's it's from 2014 it comes at it after so basically it's interviews contemporary interviews with uh richard stanley they talk extensively he's got, he got great access to Stanley. He really wants okay to well i was going to say if yeah I, I was hoping that you were going to say that he actually gets interviewed in this good but what, what what is really good and what often doesn't happen in in these documentaries is that you have richard stanley okay but then you also have the other side you have um, Robert Shea, who was like the president of New Line at the time. You got Edward Pressman, the producer. So you've got both sides of the coin. You've uh, got the director who was fired and the people who fired him. And then you've got, um, you got. There's no way they were going to get Kilmer or obviously not Brando, but um, <laughs> but uh, but they do have uh, Feruza Balk. Oh, she was, in it. My, my yeah, first she's love. in it. Yeah. Oh. Um, and uh, they talked to to Rob Morrow a bit as well, and then a bunch of the people. Be- because most of it was shot on location in Queensland, in Australia. So there oh, were a really? bunch of the extras from there and people like that. And oh, essentially, cool. it goes, it takes you through the um, the process, right from the, the beginning of him getting the script off the ground to the point where they hit the location and then what really starts to crumble about the production. And... Uh, and what, and, and then I guess beyond as well. So it doesn't just stop at the point that Richard Stanley gets booted off. Booted off. They then go into 
um, what happened when John Frankenheimer took over the, the production because they've because a lot of the principles around that like Frankenheimer's first AD they talked to they talked to all these people all that because it was a lot of a lot of local crew so they they talk extensively actually to the um, uh, the production designer who's a really great talker and he was there through you know both both uh, regimes through the Stanley and then Frankenheimer kind of thing right um, and then it does have a very I've, I don't know if the word is satisfying but it does have a very uh, well crafted to new model. I've sort of really slipped between, I guess, um, describing what this is, and in, you know, in a, in a very simple way, it's a story of this movie and what happened to the movie, what yeah. happened to Richard Stanley, and uh, in a wider tale, it's, I guess, it's a tale of what happens when um, people lose confidence and when maybe someone who is confident but inexperienced is put in charge of a very expensive at the time movie mm. and also what happens when you put Brando and Kilmer into the mix because <laughs> there are still some some rather you know Brando's legendary for just destroying movies yeah and uh, and Val Kilmer's you know is a legendary ego so that's all that's also quite an, an interesting eye-opener and also and you see some of the stuff that went on beforehand because they weren't uh, Val Kilmer wasn't necessarily first choice there were oh, really? other things. Yeah, Did Kilmer and Brando of... get on? No, 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 okay. not at all. Couldn't stand each other. Right. Basically, they among that sort of like when it when it became John Frankenheimer. And I don't want to give too much away, people, but Kilmer hated Brando. Brando hated Kilmer. <laughs> Frankenheimer hated Kilmer and hated Brando. Brando hated Frank, Frankenheimer. <laughs> Kilmer. There's this wonderful line in the picture that someone repeats that John Frankenheimer said is like. He said, even if I'm making a movie called The Life of Val Kilmer, I stood, still wouldn't cast that prick in it. <laughs> which, uh, which sort of goes to show how well people hate each other. Richard Stanley, on the other hand, got on very well with Brando, it would appear. Um, oh, really? Just not very well with Val Kilmer. No. But I don't want to give too much away because it's, 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 a, it's a voyage of discovery. It's a fascinating insight into, quite apart from the fact that if you're a big fan of Richard Stanley, which I am, um, and I found it fascinating to find out what he's actually like, what he's like now, what's happened to his career, what's what, what and what went on with this movie that I was really excited about, and then suddenly all just turned into a sinkhole. Um, it's a fascinating insight into the process of making a movie and the process of a director getting fired mid-movie and what happens there and how different appro- directors approach different things and how you know money can sway things and how stars can sway things and how the weather. I mean, if you you know. Um, have you ever seen Hearts of Darkness, the one about Apocalypse Now? You can see yeah. how whether you know you see what 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 some of that sort of um, nest to it again. But again, that's a contemporary documentary, whereas this is you know very much taken from uh, from the you know the perspective of now. And there's some there's some great uh, stuff from yeah from the extras who all the people who were dressed up in the monkey suits or the you know the half yeah because it's, it's, it's all about I remember sorry this I just want to check because no, I've no, never do. read the HG Wells, but it's, isn't it all about some weird dude who's trying to create sort of human-animal hybrids type thing, sort of. Yes, it's, he's basically yeah. genetically experimenting the whole time and creating all these... Um, weird. All these weird and wonderful things. creations. They look so awful. It's a you know, sort of a half-formed thing. But they do, like I say, talk to a lot of the the cast who were playing these creatures and about about their experience on the movie. And rather hilariously, two guys who were basically just 
drivers and runners on the set who just are just two awesome Aussie dudes who just basically completely and utterly unawestruck by everything. It's awesome. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I say, my review and my synopsis have sort of tumbled into one, really. Mm. Uh, you may be able to tell from the. I'm the sensing way I was a recommend it. here. It was absolutely cracking. Really? It really was. I started off thinking, oh, this is pretty interesting. Hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm not sure if people who don't really know or care about Richard Stanley are going to enjoy it. And then got halfway through and was like, oh, this is just fascinating. <laughs> if you're interested about the process of movie making and you're interested about... But if you're interested in, you know, what can go wrong with things and just watching, watching things that could be so well-constructed fall apart then it's also fascinating and you get the story from both sides and there is there are definite discrepancies from the Richard Stanley side from the production designer from the producer how all these people it's almost Rashomon how all these people perceive the same reality the same situation of, yeah. you know of what's happening that's fascinating and then it has an absolutely brilliant coda which I was completely unaware of as well which um which was great. I think it's a really nicely crafted documentary. It's got really like engaging, entertaining uh, interviewees. The story is very well paced, very well put together. I just, I you know, I, I even went back and watched. There's a bit though where I've been sort of marginally distracted for about twenty minutes, and I went back and was like, you know what? I just have to. Even though I think I got everything, I was enjoying that so much. I want to go back, watch that twenty minutes, make sure I didn't miss anything, and I had missed a little bit, which is cool. So I was really glad I did it. But um, yeah, I could not recommend it. Uh, highly enough. It's, it's directed by a guy called David Gregory, who should know what he's doing, because if you look on his uh, credits on IMDb, he has 190 director credits. Oh, my God. Essentially, it seems like he makes a lot of um, the uh, the shorts that go on DVD releases and stuff like that. Oh, he makes a lot the of making of and stuff. Yeah, making of stuff like that. <clears throat> Which you don't um, seem to get so much anymore. No, you do bizarrely on uh, iTunes now you're getting a few things with if you buy things oh, yeah. on iTunes but um, yeah you've got things like you made a documentary you know Super Mario Brothers is ain't no very video game um, <laughs> cool. a whole bunch of Vampiros Lesbos features he's made a thing about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre called The Shocking Truth and so yeah he's he really does know what he's this doing this is his thing this yeah. is his thing and he does it exceptionally well I would say in this in this feature length well I I, I mean, I've I've always enjoyed talking. The, the reason I like talking to you about films is because when you're in full-on enthusing mode, you make me want to go out and immediately watch the film. I'd say almost more than any other film I've heard you discuss on this podcast. I think once we've said goodbye tonight, I'm going to go and watch this film. It sounds oh, really cool, dude. It's great. I would love to. I would love to hear what you think of it on the next pod when we do it mm. because I thought it was. I just I loved it. Absolutely okay. cracking. Got totally caught up in it, and uh, I mean, it's it's a it's it's a very very solid B for me. Cool, like a massively solid B. I'd yeah, edging on a B plus. But like, I'm gonna say, like I say, I have I've difficulty going into the A's for anything other than you know. No, exactly. I mean, you actually genius, so, but it sounds like you're in a similar place to me that you kind of you you definitely recommended A plus plus recommend, but yeah. the actual film. Let's throw in a bit, give it a B or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to think of any of any sort of negatives. Really. I didn't. I don't think I wrote down any negatives really, but I'm sure you know it's not. Maybe the first. You know, it takes a little while to kind of get itself really up to speed. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's so funny. It's so driven by Richard Stanley, and he's such an odd character. Really, that it makes he's quite compelling. 
Yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, I want. To, I, I'm finding myself wanting to ask loads of questions about him, but, um, but I think that will get. Into, I think is, I feel like that will get into spoiler territory. Though, yeah, absolutely. So. But like I say, what, the, what what is fascinating is a period when he's been when I expected the Doctor end to be him jettisoned from the movie, and then okay, five minutes of what happened to Richard Stanley. But no, it goes. It carries it on carries with the production, on. and even though you then basically lose his voice for a while, it doesn't. It, he's already constructed it well enough and got you f- um, familiar enough and happy enough with the other characters, or the other you know the other talking the other interviewees that you are very happy to be you know you, you would feel cheated I think if you hadn't then heard about what happened to the rest of the production as well. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah uh, it's great stuff. Just 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 go and watch it. Okay, I will. So that leads us then leaves us with one movie. Yes, which. Um, is the one we teed up. Maybe some of you have watched it. Maybe no one's watched it. Um, but at least we've watched it. I Am Your Father. The uh, the movie that uh, delves into the deep soul or the circumstances, at least, of David Prowse. The body of Darth Vader. Now, I do have to say the body because I did make a slight error last time. I put my hands up because then it was me getting all, you know... Uh, vitriolic about the stupid substitution of Hayden Christensen and I did forget that actually it wasn't even Prowse's face that they substituted for Hayden Christensen it was another actor entirely and Sebastian Shaw thank you yeah. um, <laughs> but the fact remains they still took a classic bit and put oh, bloody they Hayden still Christensen shouldn't in. have done it I mean yeah. the thing is I mean, other, as well it made absolutely no sense because Sebastian Shaw was the old Vader so don't replace him with the young Vader because what, what, well, why didn't you replace the old um, you know Anakin with yeah. the young Anakin. It made no that, sense that whatsoever. Pardon? Oh, yeah, sorry, the, the yeah. old um, Obi-Wan with the young and, Obi-Wan. And who doesn't want to see young Yoda? Well, exactly. I would love to see a young Yoda. <sighs> Yoda in, you know, Yoda in Saturday Night Live clothing or something. I really, I do have a slight thing against all director's cuts, all messing around with a film once it's out. Apart I just don't from, like it, apart from apart Aliens. Apart from Aliens, thank you. <laughs> no, but the thing is, even Aliens though, dude, because I totally think that that bit with the auto, the, the gun the auto cannons, yeah, is fantastic. But the first bit when they show Newt's mum and dad going off to investigate the alien thing, I think yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. good. That's a bit unnecessary, maybe. Anyway, now I'm getting totally distracted. Back to I Am Your Father. 2015 documentary, hour and 23 minutes long. So, again, quite short. Yeah. It's actually a Spanish documentary by a guy called... Oh, my notes have suddenly disappeared. I did not write oh, that down in my notes because I am essentially a little bit unprofessional like that. Um, <laughs> I, um, Marcos too, uh, Cabota. Yes, and also um, Tony Bestard is the other director That's who right. doesn't yeah, get in front of the camera, I think. Yeah. yeah. And... Yeah, so it's it's the very one of the very first things you see is you hear is a sort of audio diary that David Prowse obviously kept. Um, you know, he must have recorded. I didn't know about this. I'd never heard it before, and it's yeah. just him talking about. It, it, it's like him reading out his own biography. Yeah, obviously, it wasn't a diary that he recorded at the time he was making this film. But you hear him basically feeling quite put out and annoyed, describing how he felt when he found out that he wasn't going to be shown in a as certain the face sequence of, of the well, face... As the face of Vader, yeah. As the face of Vader in Jedi. Now, he had already been... So David Prowse was cast um, in Star Wars yeah. and 
and you find out so it's it's all interesting stuff for Star Wars fans because you've you there's interviews with him and we find out that during the filming there he was in his Vader costume and for the actual filming he was saying the lines that would later of course be um, voiced by James L. Jones. I haven't seen that footage, but apparently it does exist on the oh, really? of him just like yeah. Of, of just, what Vader v- sounds like with him. Vader with a West Country accent. <laughs> and and you know he does say that he was surprised that they replaced his lines, but then there's a short interview which is also interestingly in this documentary cut short, um when he's saying, you know, obviously they wanted someone else's voice, um, he becomes a bit, little bit less, say, um politically correct in the rest of that interview when you see it not in this documentary oh really yes uh, um i'll leave people to make up their own minds about it or just to find it for themselves i might find that yes. yeah um so anyway but let's say yeah it opens with that but this documentary is essentially this these directors on a sort of crusade essentially yeah just just to kind of like give a praise of it they wanted to find david prowse talk to him and uh, in some ways set the record straight for his literal loss of face. Yes. And and I think it's okay to say that about halfway through the film, it turns into a thing where they... I worry this is too spoilerific, so jump no, in no, if you I, think it I is. No, no, I don't think so. Okay, good. So um, where they actually... They, they put forward this idea of recreating the scene because obviously David Prowse is now in his 80s isn't he I think yeah I think, early 80s. Or, le- or late 70s yeah. but, you know he's an old guy and, and um, they they want to recreate the famous scene the unmasking of Vader at the end of Jedi towards the end of Jedi um, with him um, yes so he, and so that's the whole idea the so that becomes a the thesis yeah yeah and so in terms of just to give a little bit more of the, the the sort of characters that you get to know, obviously a lot of it is David Prowse. You also have quite an English, in, interesting English producer, kind of old wizened guy. I'm sorry, I've forgotten his name. And so have I, but the thing is he is always, always, always wheeled out. Oh, is he? On Star Wars documentaries or things. Yeah, he, I've seen him in so many things about Star Wars because he is more than happy to talk about it. But Oh, really? Um, yeah. Well, there was Lou Ferrigno's here for for a little bit. Yeah. Old, um, yeah. Because, I mean, so so that's the setup, and then it goes back in time, and you hear you see quite a lot about David Prowse's early career, where he first sort of got work in Hammer horror films. Um, then, in this country, he was famous for a long time for being the Green Cross Code Man, which I must admit I'd completely forgotten. So had I. So, so and it was really nice to see because, like, yeah, I must have known that at some point, but I had totally forgotten that yeah. he was that he was Green Cross Code Man and Vader. Robert um, Watts, that's the name of the producer. Sorry, just rewind. Robert, Robert Watts. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't know that because I. I mean, to be honest, I've not watched many Star Wars documentaries, um, but um, I thought he was still quite an interesting. He's great. Um, he speaks really well, and he's a great sort of like voice of the old school as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because he he didn't he used to produce Hammer films. Um, I don't know. He bizarrely he, he did um, the ind- he did the indie movies as well as maybe that's it's not just on the Star Wars I've seen him I've seen him talk about Indiana Jones as well. Oh really? Okay, okay. Um, and he did. Uh, he hasn't done anything in a while, obviously, because he's quite quite an old chap. But um, yeah. he did something else. For, oh yeah, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? That's the other thing he did. Oh, did he? Yeah. God, I still remember going to the cinema to see that. I really loved that film for so a while. Um, 
So you see, uh, there's uh, so the, the the documentary as well as lots of interviews with David Prowse. They also, you know, it's fly on the wall stuff, isn't there? They follow him around to sort of fan. Um, yeah, there's a lot of as, as per these sort of fan kind of things that yeah, lots of cons. As yeah, well. yeah. And then it ultimately focuses on because he, David Prowse, has been left with this um, this feeling of being, you know, he's still quite he's quite ticked off, off. Yeah. ticked off about how he felt he was treated. And so it, it so the the documentary focuses very much on trying to sort of uncover what was behind that. And he's, well, he he still never goes. He's never invited to any of the real official Star Wars um, reunion sort of con things. So yeah, it sort of looks at a bit of the reasons why. I guess relations soured between him and Lucasfilm. Yeah, yeah. And um, do you think we said it? Have we said it? Yeah, I think we've said enough. I mean, yeah, we've you know, it's an exploration of David Prowse, and it's a it's a it's a mission to try and sort of, like I say, like to give him a face, and also to kind of, I guess, sort of uh, clear his name. It's not quite the right word, but yeah, no. Um, It's it's obvious that the the filmmakers. Because one of the filmmakers is very prevalent throughout the movie. Yeah, they've got a, they've got a big. It is a real quest for them. They really do have this big thing for David Prowse. Yeah, um, which you know, which which shines through. I do like to see a bit of passion, but uh, I mean, review wise, I have a suspicion. I wasn't sure which way you were going to go, and I have a suspicion now. I know which way you're going to go. <laughs> um, I'm trying to because, play it close to the chest. I'm, I'm trying to give give you my poker face. Yeah, I thought it was rubbish. <laughs> I thought it was a 20 minute short stretched out to an hour and a whatever it is documentary because I just didn't care. I am in. Okay, well, I'm definitely not as far over that way as you, but I'm in. I'm in the same Venn diagram area or something. Yeah. <laughs> I because basically. I think the thing is the bit I did enjoy some bits because I think that but the thing is this is about Star Wars which I quite like yes. so lots of the background stuff you know that thing I'd for, I I quite enjoyed hearing about the early about his early career um, and reminding myself that he was the Green Cross Code man but the, the I, Spanish the Spanish dude got so excited about being the him being the Green Cross Code man I they're know. like. Yeah, there wasn't that big a deal, actually. It was a dude in a public safety advert. <laughs> I know, and as well, they really lay it on thick. They keep going on about how Vader is the ultimate bad guy, the ultimate yeah. bad guy. And we go, yeah, yeah, okay, we got that. Don't need to yeah. keep telling us. But obviously, they're <laughs> really trying to make their point, And they're kind of, they don't, they, well, they lose back, any subtlety. Let me come back to that later, actually. Okay. But the thing is, I, I mean, I quite enjoyed, I enjoyed it. I found it interesting, but I found... I did find the director who kept getting in front of the camera. I found his slightly earnest oh, he way was really quite irritating. irritating. And yet, and and there was some kind of, there was the, the language barrier between him and David Prowse. Not that it was massive, you know. He spoke very good English, but yeah. do you know what I mean. The slight sort of cultural barrier meant that their conversations were slightly uncomfortable. Well, they were to really forced because he was obviously reconstructing a lot of them. I thought, yeah, exactly. It wasn't and natural. It, he was reconstructing conversations badly, and this is this is sort of comes down to a lot of what I think actually was rubbish about it is that. He about the point where he starts talking about like you know I want to remake the end scene of Star Wars with mm. with or no, you know that scene in Jedi with with him removing his mask, you kind of go oh so this is just about as much about what you want to do as it is about David Prowse and actually this becomes about your desire to recreate a Star Wars scene because that's essentially what it is you're a fan who wants to recreate a Star Wars scene and at that point I did I mean actually I didn't care before but I really don't care now and yeah uh, 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 what what I what I found very much 
building up throughout the movie, and the thing that, that led me to care even less is that obviously David Prowse was employed because he was a bodybuilder with a big, imposing figure, but he was a rubbish actor. He's in Clockwork Orange. That's one of the few times you see him without a thing on. He's rubbish. Yeah. He's a rubbish <laughs> actor with a West Country accent. So it's not a great injustice replacing his head with someone else or replacing his voice, because actually he was just employed to be a prop. I mean, his work before then was Frankenstein. He was exactly. always... like He's a rubbish actor who's employed because he's got a big body. So I felt no sense of injustice. Look, you're lucky to have been there, Chum. I know, I know. And exactly... And this is the thing. It just felt like as well... Like David Prowse, I did think he came across, you know, in that nice sort of gentle giant way. I quite liked him at times. But then he also, I just sort of thought, you you, you seem to have become rather obsessed with this part of your life. And it's just like, dude, it's time to let go. You were I, Vader. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But and even though this may sound funny because he was Vader, he, st- he, he still just struck me as someone who's far too self-important. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, but in that sort of like slightly mild, passive-aggressive way. Almost. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, did, yeah. I didn't like him at all, I have to say. I did like him, but I kind of... I, 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 I think the way I would describe it is that I quite liked watching him when he was talking about certain subjects, but I didn't think, I would love to meet this guy. Yeah, I no, would like to okay, go out yes. for a meal with this guy, do you know what no, I mean? No, I, 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 yeah, I'm with you on that one. I mean, so, what, so a bit like an irritating old guy who lives up the road, you know, someone who just sort of think, oh, no, not this one. yeah. <laughs> There's, there's a couple of notes I made and towards the end um, that I was thinking there is a documentary here. There is definitely a documentary here. Yeah. But it's not about David Prowse. It's about a wider thing. Or, or it, it's about two things. It could be about David Prowse. Yeah. Uh, one of my notes I put down, there's a tragic story of a semi-delusional bit part actor here. Like that okay. could be a documentary. But yeah. the filmmakers are too reverent and too caught up with what they want to do to, to find that interesting story. They're too obsessed with it being like, either the, it being the great David Prowse or it being the great them who's recreating Jedi. Mm. But yeah, it could be a tragic story of this guy whiling away his years. Yeah, a Willie um, Loman character almost. Yeah. yeah. And then right at the end, I saw what the documentary would should be. And then I was like, this is such a missed opportunity because this is not a spoiler at all. But right at the end, as the credits roll, they put up photos of all of these actors who have acted inside the suit. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it does this big role of, like, the dude who was in the alien costume. And It sort of starts people... with something like that as well. It, yeah. It, it sort of repeats, what, but in more detail, yeah, it kind of... yeah, It, it has massively... Like... It, there's a huge glaring omission because Kevin Peter Hall isn't in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And no, you're there's, like, there, there, what? There are loads, yeah. But, um... But there's a great doc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Going around and talking to all the suit people. And, like, you know, I guess Andy Serkis straddles both worlds because he's, like, mocap or performance capture king. Um, But all the, you know, the unsung people in the suit who you don't know who they are, that would be fascinating. That would be really cool. You go around to all of them, and some of these guys you'd find, like, at that point, then David Prowse becomes a slightly moany side dick. I'm sure you'll find a whole bunch of them who are like, yeah, I was the alien, man. I was amazing at being the alien. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. And I know, it's great, because I, I can go to McDonald's guy. and no one cares about me. Um, yeah. But I reckon there's a great doc for all the, all the, all the people in suits, mm. but just 
I thought this was like this was a twenty minute bit of like, hey, you know that that guy in the big black costume who played Darth Vader. He didn't know what his face looked like. Here he is. He's a bitter old West Country lad. <laughs> twenty minutes no, but, done. But as well, the thing is that like even right right sticking with the documentary they did make. Yes. The thing was as well is that like okay, forget the refilming sequence bit. Fundamentally, it it left me with more questions because there obviously was this breakdown in. Oh, in, sure, in, yes. In the relationship between um, Lucas... Lucasfilm and Lu- him. Lucasfilm yeah. and him. And they kind of put forward a couple of theories. But, like, they say we contacted Lucasfilm, you know. But the thing is, OK, but don't waste your time refilming a sequence. Phone Lucasfilm again. Just badger and again, people, yes. And again, yeah, until get you get an answer. You. Because that was... I, that, that, I was still sort of waiting. You know, I do actually kind of want to hear it from their perspective, you know. And this is where it counterpoints brilliantly with the um, Richard Stanley doc I watched. They do have both sides. They've got Richard Stanley, mm. and then they've got the studio head who fired him. Yeah. And you've got the people on the set saying, well, actually, it was a bit more of this. And you've got, you've got that 360 thing. You've got everyone's opinion. You realise that's, that's a fully filled-in story. This is, this is a whole snippets of like a small part of a story. Yeah, that would have been interesting. How did... How did Darth Vader, this iconic person, collapse? Partly, though, you know why it collapsed, because he was a bit part actor. He thinks he was sort of like Darth Vader, but he was just Darth Vader's body. The performance, a lot of the time, comes out of James Earl Jones' mouth. Yeah, well, I thought they should do another documentary called, um, I don't know, I Sound Like Your Father or something, where it's (laughs) it's James Earl Jones looking really depressed and moping about why he wasn't the body of Darth Vader. (laughs) I sounded like the most important bad guy in all of film history. And then, you know... But no one could see my body. (laughs) Refilm with with James Earl Jones doing all the scenes in a slightly bigger Vader costume. (laughs) Uh, I just... You know, it, it was that's the problem. Is it wasn't a great injustice. It was just pretty obvious. And when they spoke, but when they spoke to Robert Watts, the man who produced the movie, who should know why things fell apart, mm. he didn't really care anyway. <laughs> he did. It wasn't. It wasn't kind of like. And yes, relations between Lucasfilm and David Prowse, right? He was like, yeah, yeah. I guess that wasn't a thing. Or oh yeah, no. Oh re- yeah, fine. No, yeah, because it's all it's all you know David Prowse's problem. Yeah, I and know. That's, that's and that's the interesting documentary. This weird delusional lunatic, really but they couldn't yeah. see him as as that. They just saw him as uh, this sort of like guy no one had made a documentary about, and they liked Star Wars. That said. There were still little bits and bobs that I found interesting, but yeah, it sounds like we're in a similar place. It sounds like you hated it more than me. I, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. I, I, found, I found it intensely disappointing. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm definitely not intensely disappointing. I just found it annoying, but I still found there were little bits that were, were interesting. But yeah, cool. I mean, yeah. Um, one other thing I was just quickly going to mention is because while I was reading up on about it afterwards, I was looking up, you know, the, the, the actor um, Sebastian Shaw, who... Who yeah. was who was there for the arm asking and apparently because he was a friend of Ian McDermott Mc, Mc, oh, no, oh, yeah. who did you know who played Emperor Palpatine oh yes or yeah, Palpatine yeah, whatever it is yeah and um, he sort of wandered into set the day he recorded that bit of Jedi and McDermott sort of said oh what are you doing here and apparently he responded I don't know dear boy I think it's something to do with science fiction <laughs> <laughs> which I think is a really funny thing to say it's quite old school but anyway yeah, um, that's cool yeah, okay, well, good, good. Well, we've done that then. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Um, 
I'm look. We we flip things on 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 its head this time. Often we both kind of come up with like a movie, and then we have like a yeah, that's pretty good one we both watch. Whereas we've both actually got movies we're pretty passionate about that we saw separately, and then a bit of like a yeah. at the end, which is good. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have a flip around thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Now we did we did chuck I'm your father out there to uh, to the listening public before we before we watched it. So if you have seen it. Do let us know what you thought. Are we wrong? Or am I wrong, especially? Is it actually something you really enjoyed? I mean, I'd say we're both pretty big Star Wars geeks, so I'm not expecting, you know, someone to go, we don't like Star Wars. No, I love Star Wars. So, um, not that I'm, you know, challenging here, but <laughs> I would say, I'd be interested to see if anyone found something in that that I didn't. It'd be always good to know if maybe I should give it a second chance, or maybe if we should just, you know, fire and forget and say au revoir to the d-rated documentary if you want to get in touch with something like that the places you can get us are pretty simple at we watch anything on twitter which is where most people seem to contact us we watch anything at gmail.com which just again feels so outdated (laughs) these days and facebook.com slash we watch anything rarely updated but always interesting (laughs) and also we are never ever ever gonna tire of people recommending movies on genres no it's gone down pretty well so far, and so I think everyone who's stuck their head about the, about the parapet has been answered. So, if you can muster up the uh, wherewithal, something rather, I like wherewithal. Good to uh, to you know to suggest something. Just just let us. Well, know. I'm going to step in now, dude, because I've been thinking about our next genre because it is my turn to choose. Yes. Absolutely. And in place of any suggestions from the outside world, I thought it'd be nice because our very very first episode was creature features. Um, yes, it was, and I thought that although we've 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 regularly gone in and out of horror since, we haven't had a full on horror one since uh, since the found footage one, which is quite a while ago now. So I thought, yeah, absolutely. I, I thought not necessarily horror actually, but I just thought let's go vampires. I'm so down with vampires, and um, and I also have a suggestion for what I think should be our combo film. But like Cherry oh, yes. Two Thousand. This, You've already this, seen yeah, it. Yeah, but again, I've only seen it once. I can remember so little, and I was seriously, I was 12, 13, something like that. I was really young. It went, okay, I'll give you this, because it went it went pretty well with Charity 2000. It was quite nice to see a reversal. Yeah, so I honestly, I, I, I can't remember a thing about it other than it's about vampires, and it's a comedy with Jim Carrey, and it's a very early Jim Carrey film. Like, it's, you know, it's, it's I think it's 85. Nothing about this sounds like a good idea. No. I'm so <laughs> it's, um, anyway, it's called uh, Once Bitten. And it's and it's on net, UK Netflix right now. So if people, that's, I think that should be our combo film. Love it. All right, once bit. Okay. Okay. So I'm sure I'm already smit smit. Are we now? Are we now winding things up? Is this the end? This is the end, my beautiful friend. The end. Um, you've had the details. Get in touch. Go on. And um, I should I could be more welcoming. Can I? You've, <laughs> you've <laughs> managed on, to sound to quite arrogant and unwelcoming. so until next time listeners this has been our podcast we look forward to it being our podcast again next time (laughs) (laughs) and invading your ears (laughs) alright see you all bye see you all Bye. bye bye